Monday, January 26, 1931. The first thing in the morning, as the last at night, Raymond, always Raymond. I see his face in front of every other picture in life, but I am dulled with thinking and aching. Sometimes for a moment I think I've dreamed it all. Then I consider it awake to its many aspects and able to ask myself, what are my obligations here? What are they here? To go on being what he called the master of silence? Not to him forever silence. Once I must speak out. And so I sit down and write a little more of the council. Not much written. Disinclined to more. Make myself walk the deck. The day wears away. When did I see that last new moon so clear outside the Russell Hotel? I kept the car and the two liveried men waiting while I turned my back and wished. That must have been only on Friday. It seems weeks ago. No refuge from Raymond's last words. And that card sealed on the basket of fruit, his last gift. How do people bear these things and not go under? Yet, do I wish he had let me go without this confidence? No, I would rather he share. Maybe it helped him. I wrote up my survey of his life, where he had gone wrong, how he might cut his losses and start fresh, and I pledged my help to financing a thinking-out journey with our brother Vernon along. Just possible it might gain time, if not gain all I hope, and give him, Raymond, a breathing space a while to find salvation for himself. Welcome to the Elizabeth Robbins Diary Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Kaler. Many of our episodes will mention Elizabeth's brother, Raymond, so it seemed wise to share some of his story. Elizabeth was the oldest of seven siblings, and Raymond was the youngest. Their mom was institutionalized when Raymond was only three and Elizabeth was 14, and she quickly became the mother figure in his life. Even as adults, their relationship often continued to be more mother and son than brother and sister. Elizabeth remained his primary confidant throughout his life, and he often told her things he told no one else. Because they were rarely together, much of their conversation was by letter and were able to share in their confidences. Raymond was an attorney and a pastor and a political advisor who worked alongside seven presidents from Teddy Roosevelt to FDR. He was a mesmerizing speaker. In fact, the great orator William Jennings Bryan called Raymond the orator of the age. Raymond was a Republican for most of his life, though he left the party for a while to start the Progressive Party with Teddy Roosevelt and managed to work with both Democratic and Republican administrations. I've been researching and writing a book on one incident in Raymond's life, and I started off by accusing him of suffering heroic fatigue. Reading this diary entry, I think Elizabeth was accusing him of the same thing. But how does a person get to the point where they are doing so much for others that they endanger their physical and mental health? The answer to that for Raymond was his unquenchable desire to help. He had helped his brother Saxton find his purpose in life. He helped Tennessee coal miners working 12 hours a day for a dollar a day get better working conditions. He helped people get past the thugs blocking the entrance to the election polls in Chicago. He helped people get educated and find work when he ran a settlement house. He helped gold miners in Alaska get access to clean water so they wouldn't die of typhoid. He helped the Russian people starving during the Bolshevik Revolution by delivering food. 
I could literally spend this entire episode just listing ways Raymond helped people. He had the brains and the stamina to help lots of people. What he did not have was boundaries. Following the diary entry I just read, Elizabeth would go on to write Raymond a 12-page letter of advice. Here's an excerpt. January 1931. Dearest Raymond, I telegraphed you from Boston that I had counsel, and so I have. The first part of what I have to say to you is no new idea born out of this new suffering. This is important. You are not fighting something you have not fought before and always conquered. James Mullenbach spoke to me of almost superhuman powers of endurance, yours. Set first in the court, your power to do, without sleep, what other men with sleep could never have done. Somerset Maugram, fresh from Russia, said to me in London, He isn't human. He can live without food, without drink, without sleep. I recognize there comes a point beyond which human strength can't go. The need is to act before that final limit is reached. I shall not be able, under the present stress, to put what I want to set before you in very orderly fashion. But for a good while, I've been thinking about your life along these lines. To highly wrought people like you and me, tranquility of mind is closely allied to quiet of body. Not inaction, but quiet action. People who think their minds are at rest only when their bodies are in motion, in speed cars and aeroplanes who sleep best in Pullmans, believe they are resting because their nerves are newly occupied, distracted or dulled by noise and motion. It isn't a rest that rests. The purchase of Chinsiget was supposed to help both Raymond and Elizabeth have a place to go that would provide a rest that rests. Riding horses, chopping firewood, tilling the land— Hanging out by reading and writing on the Chinsegat Manor porch, all were intended to give him a chance to rest and recharge before heading off to help people again. To gain insight on Raymond, we're going to talk to Dr. James Clark, a professor at the University of Central Florida and the author of many books on Florida history. Hello, Dr. Clark. Hello. Would you please uh, introduce yourself to our audience and tell us about the work that you do? Hi, my name is Jim Clark. I am a Florida historian with a doctorate from the University of Florida, and uh, I teach at the University of Central Florida, uh, the largest uh, public university in the South. Mm -hmm. No, that's that's amazing, and and most people do not realize uh, just how massive UCF is, and uh, glad to have you representing them today. So today we're talking about Raymond Robbins. How did you first hear about Raymond Robbins? Uh, In doing research on Claude Pepper, For my dissertation back in the 1980s, I stumbled upon uh, Raymond Robbins, and Claude Pepper is (laughs) unique in many ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the most unique is that from the time he was a child, he thought he was destined for greatness and saved every scrap of paper. (laughs) And so his his library at uh, Florida State University has all these letters from and to Raymond uh, Robbins. Mm. Very cool. So it was in research, which you did write a book called Red Pepper and Gorgeous George. And uh, both of those, as I was looking at that, I know would have been very familiar to Raymond. So let's talk about these men and how Raymond might have fit into the picture with them. Yeah, Raymond Robbins, um, as you know, uh, comes to Florida. His uh, his sister uh, bought the uh, the estate there, 
uh, and uh, uh, he had uh, traveled the world, basically. Um, he had gone to Alaska, uh, to Nome, uh, to hunt for gold. Uh, and in fact, uh, his sister went there and mm -hmm. to a mining camp to find him, uh, to bring him back to Florida, uh, to tell him to come to Florida. Uh, and uh, uh, amazing story of just literally how she found him in this great uh, wilderness. I, I uh, love that then. story so much. I mean, she basically, she hadn't heard from him in six months and she just starts freaking out and she's like, that's it. And she goes from London <laughs> to New York to Boston to Canada <laughs> and then to Seattle and over to Alaska. And at 37 years of age, traveling by herself as a woman, I mean, it's just a crazy story. Yeah, and the, the kicker, of course, is not only that he, he found, she found him in a matter of minutes, once mm -hmm. she got to, right. to Nome, I mean, <laughs> of all the people there looking for gold, she just found him almost immediately. Right, right. And then finds out um, that he's a celebrity and everybody knows him. So, yes. Yeah, it's a great story. We'll um, cover that someday. During uh, uh, World War I, uh, he served in the Red Cross which is where he picked up the uh, honorary title colonel. Mm -hmm. That was the extent of his uh, military experience. Mm -hmm. And after, um, uh, while there, he developed his love of Russia. And that would dominate the rest of his life. Uh, and that's where he played the most prominent role is in his relations uh, with Russia uh, with various regimes mm -hmm. and uh, beginning with the, the downfall of the czar, amazingly. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, when I went to New York to look at Elizabeth's diaries, I came across accidentally a letter to Raymond from Leon Trotsky. And uh, it was in completely in Russian, so I had to give it to somebody to translate, but it was all about <laughs> some food that Raymond was going to get delivered to a certain place and Trotsky was helping him out, but it was a personal letter from, from Trotsky to him. So yeah, he was right in the thick of it. Very much so. Um, and so that's how I encountered him. And he probably, uh, one of the less known dominant figures of the 20th century. Um, he played such a role in uh, getting us eventually uh, to recognize communist Russia mm -hmm. that uh, is largely forgotten. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, he was petitioning every every president from Woodrow Wilson until FDR finally listened to him, but it was definitely an important thing to him. So how does he fit in, though, with uh, Pepper? He began advising Pepper. Uh, <coughs> Uh, Robbins had uh, fallen while pruning a tree and was confined to a wheelchair after about 1937. And the result was that he had been very active mm -hmm. and uh, lost that ability. And so he devoted his uh, energies into writing letters. And uh, as you know, wrote, uh, gosh, thousands, thousands of letters. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even sure anybody's ever ever counted how many uh, letters he has written, 
but he wrote uh, to everybody, and, uh, and Pepper, as I say, saved all of these letters. Pepper uh, went to the Senate about the same time uh, Robbins uh, suffered his injury, mm-hmm. and uh, Robbins began writing to him. Uh, Pepper uh, was somewhat out of step uh, in the South uh, in the Senate in that uh, he was not a rabid racist as so many of his Senate Southern colleagues were, Mm -hmm. uh, and he was much more progressive. And so Raymond Robbins was drawn to him, and they began uh, a conversation that lasted uh, uh, for for years. And in fact, uh, Pepper uh, said at the time, that he considered Robbins uh, one of his closest, if not the closest friend. That's amazing. So you mentioned to me when we were talking earlier that you think that maybe Raymond was kind of to blame for Pepper losing his seat. What was that about? Yeah, um, he became a cheerleader for um, Russia. And Robbins was a strange man And people get this confused. Robbins was not a communist. Mm -hmm. Robbins did not support communism. What he supported was Russia. And that may seem seem like a a thin line, but he originally, after the fall of the czar, he supported the interim Kerensky government, Mm -hmm. which was a democratic government that lasted just about six months. Then when the Bolsheviks came in, he supported Lenin. What he fought for was uh, recognition of Russia, beginning with Woodrow Wilson, and as we say, ending with Franklin Roosevelt when it finally happened. But what is strange about Robbins is he was an anti-communist. He worried, in fact, uh, that communism might happen here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he became uh, a, a progressive Republican at first uh, through the 20s and uh, with Hoover. Uh, he was a progressive Republican. He was vital in Hoover's 1928 campaign. Right. So uh, he supported Russia. He loved Russia, but not necessarily communism. His goal was recognition of Russia for a variety of reasons, including helping the American economy. So after, uh, as World War II went on, Pepper began to look for a cause. And in the run-up to World War II, he had warned America about the rise of Adolf Hitler. He stood alone in the Senate for several years saying, we need to do something about Hitler. He was mocked. He was hung in effigy. He was ridiculed by other senators saying, hey, nothing to worry about. And so uh, Robbins was attracted to him. Pepper, after the war, began looking for a cause. And he had been right on, on Hitler and thought that our relations with Russia would be the coming issue. And he wanted to get out in front of it. So he became very pro-Russia, very pro-Stalin. 
Uh, and it did turn out that relations with Russia became the dominant issue, but he was on the wrong side. Right. Uh, he, uh, in fact, went to Russia. He met with Joe Stalin. He came away in a radio broadcast praising Stalin and the uh, communist government, which was anathema to most Americans and certainly to most Floridians. Yeah, and I think uh, even still, that is one of the biggest myths that exist was that Raymond was a communist sympathizer. And if you talk to even people just in the community, they'd be like, oh, that's where the communists live up at that Shinsegat place. And uh, it was basically what people used to be dismissive of his actual policy. Definitely, definitely something that was way out there, because if you read anything that he ever wrote, he would talk about how communism would never be able to succeed. But um, one of my other favorite bizarre stories about that is that uh, following his death, he and Margaret are put on trial during the Red Scare uh, for being communists. And um, I always tell my tours when I'm doing it, they didn't care one bit that they were on trial. They were both dead. But um, they they were cleared of those <laughs> charges. But they, they took time in the Congress to bring people in that knew them and interview them and find out if the Robins were really communists. Yeah, you mentioned Margaret. Um, she was probably the more radical of the two. Oh, yeah. Yeah. With her work through the, the trade unions and things like that. Uh, of, of, the, of the three of them, his sister and his wife and himself, he was probably the most conservative that there. That's probably true. That is true. <laughs> So it, we've mentioned the presidents a little bit, and um, just for the audience, so he serves everybody from Teddy Roosevelt, then Taft, Woodrow Wilson, Warren Harding, Calvin Coolidge, Herbert Hoover, and Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And uh, his roles were not the same. Sometimes it was financial, sometimes it was labor. Uh, with Wilson, obviously, it was over in Russia. So his roles were changing, but the party lines were he was always a Republican. So how did somebody like him fit into all of those different governments? And how would he exist today? Could somebody like Raymond exist today and serve all those different people? I don't think so. Uh, although, you know, what he had was a single issue, which was Russia. And, and so that was what, uh, after beginning with Wilson, mm -hmm. that was his crusade. He never varied. Uh, he wanted recognition for Russia, and he lobbied, as you point out, what, five presidents, I mm -hmm. guess that would be, mm -hmm. for, for recognition. Uh, I guess if somebody had a, a single issue like that, they could serve in different administrations. But I don't think anybody like Raymond Robbins could, could come along. There were other people in that era, uh, Bernard Baruch, for example, the great financier who served different administrations. So I think that was a different time where people could uh, serve in one administration and then serve in another. Uh, there were people who served in uh, uh, the uh, Harding administration who served later in the, the Roosevelt administration. Mm -hmm. So maybe that was just a different time where people were hired for their abilities and not so much for their, their views. No, that makes sense. So what would you consider to be Raymond's primary contribution to the politics of his day? I think 
obviously, uh, Roosevelt's recognition of, of Russia is the paramount thing. Um, I'm not sure without Robbins that it would have happened when it did. It may have happened later. Mm-hmm. But uh, as we said, what, four presidents had rejected relations with Russia. Robbins was able to uh, use the Great Depression. Uh, it, before he had talked about, uh, you know, how we needed to have uh, relations with Russia, uh, kind of a, a world issue. But with Roosevelt, he campaigned on the Great Depression. Hey, uh, that could be a market for us. Mm. That could uh, help our economy. And that convinced Roosevelt to recognize Russia. And sure enough, uh, Henry Ford then built a Ford plant in Russia. So he was right about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there were other things that he was right about in, the, in regarding Russia. Back when Lenin was in charge and he was visiting him, he'd actually worked out a deal with Lenin that Russia would stay in the war if the U.S. would help him go and retrieve some military materials that was up in an area that Russia was concerned the Germans were going to take that over. And uh, so he works the whole deal out, sends it back to Wilson. Wilson's like, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. And uh, sure enough, Russia drops out of the war and the Germans did end up getting all of those munitions and does end up using it to kill uh, the Russian people as well as Americans. And uh, that all would have not happened if they had listened to what Raymond said back at that time. But, you know, Wilson really didn't have a lot of use for Raymond. He'd only sent him there because Teddy Roosevelt made him. So um, (laughs) I don't know if he uh, really intended to ever listen to anything he was going to say. Yeah, I I don't think uh, the Robin's reputation is helped by the tree that's in his yard. Yes. Tell us about the tree. (laughs) Uh, they planted a tree called the uh, linen oak. Mm-hmm. And obviously, if you have a tree in your front yard called the linen oak, <laughs> people are going to assume yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're a communist. Uh, but again, that was not the case. He really hit it off with linen. They, I'm not sure friends is the right word, but they clearly respected one another. And uh, I'm not sure... They liked each other, but clearly they saw value in each other and pursued a relationship with one another. And you earlier mentioned Trotsky, uh, who was uh, vital in setting up the communist government. But I think that he would have uh, supported the Kerensky democratic regime mm-hmm. uh, just as strongly. He might have even supported the czar. Mm-hmm. Uh, just strongly, uh, his his passion was Russia, and um, that eventually comes back to haunt uh, Pepper. Uh, Robbins continues to write to him, uh, saying, "Hey, uh, uh, push Russia," and Pepper became so aligned with Russia that the people of Florida were just. Uh, turned off by this, uh, the, re- the relationship was such that uh, whenever Pepper was in Brooksville, he stayed with Raymond Robbins mm-hmm. and uh, at the house there. And, and Robbins uh, would have dinner parties and invite people from Brooksville 
to come over and, and hear Pepper speak at the house. So Pepper was, was there a number of times, and it came back to haunt him in 1950 when he ran for re-election against George Smathers and was so far left of the Florida voting population that he was defeated after uh, more than two terms in the Senate. Mm -hmm. And now, ironically, Margaret Robbins' collection is in the George Smathers Special Collection at the University of Florida. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. I point this out, Natalie. Uh, Pepper and Smathers dueled in one of the most vicious campaigns in Florida history, and they are, they are still du dueling, even though they have been uh, uh, gone for about 30 years now, in the sense that FSU has the Pepper Library, oh. and the University of Florida has the Smathers Library. Right. So <laughs> they now have dueling libraries. Oh, my goodness. Well, we all have our own ways of having fun, I guess, right? Yeah. Um, all right, so I, I talked about my what I think is a misconception of him being a communist. Is there any other misconception about Raymond or just even that era in general about early 20th century politics that you want to clear up for people that they can stop believing? The interesting thing to me is what would have happened in history if Wilson had listened to Raymond Robbins in 1918 and 1919? How would the world history have been different uh, if we had uh, tried to do something uh, in terms of normal relations with Russia. Um, as you know, not only did we ignore them, but the rest of the world did too. Mm -hmm. They weren't allowed to join the League of Nations. They were, they were ostracized and, and made their own way. And that would eventually, of course, lead to them uh, signing a treaty with uh, Hitler and the Nazis mm -hmm. uh, in the 1930s. So, uh, you know, it, it is fascinating to think what would have happened if the world had listened to Raymond Robbins. That's a great way to put that, and I love that. Um, if somebody wants to study this era more, besides reading your book, Red Pepper and Gorgeous George, uh, is there any other resource that you would recommend people. Yeah, there's an article by Alex Lichtenstein um, called uh, uh, <laughs> called uh, the Linen Tree, mm. which <laughs> I'm sorry, the Linen Oak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an oak. It's an oak. It is an oak. Know. It's an oak, uh, which was in the American Communist History uh, Journal and uh, Volume Three, Number Two, which has a tremendous article about Robbins, about Pepper. Uh, about their friendship, but also has details about uh, Raymond Robbins and uh, and his life and the family. Uh, and again, if you're really interested, uh, you can go online. Uh, some of the correspondence, as, as you mentioned, the papers are in the uh, FSU library, but some of the Raymond Robbins uh, uh, correspondence is online mm -hmm. and available through the FSU library. Oh, that's amazing. No, that's that's always useful because it's it's good to know not just the official things they were talking about, but you see where they connected personally by the things that they wanted to talk about uh, outside yes. of whatever the official conversation was. And uh, if you go to Chinsegat, uh, make sure you ask your tour guide 
where the Lennon Oak is, they should be able to point that out to you. It's just uh, right over by the dining hall. And we know the exact date it was planted because Margaret sent her husband a letter and said, hey, I put this acorn in the the ground and we're going to call it the Lennon Oak. And so it was April of 1918 that that tree was planted and it's still doing great. Uh, It used to have a plaque. And when the Boy Scouts found it and saw that it was named Lennon, um, it ended up causing a great controversy and they melted it down and uh, it got thrown. It did. It got melted down into a ball and got thrown into Lake Lindsay. So I'm waiting for swift mud to dredge that lake and I'm going to reclaim the ball of bronze that used to be the Lennon plaque. You know, we are, we are more than a hundred years removed from that. I'm still not sure you could, Put up a linen oak plaque. <laughs> Not the plaque, but I think a ball would be very cool if you stuck it. So if you could stick that in the museum and say, this used to be a plaque for linen. <laughs> I think we could tolerate that, right? I think so. Dr. Clark, thank you so much. This was really useful. I think everybody's going to love it. Thank you, Annette. Raymond was a hugely influential person in his day. And influence generally is accompanied by controversy. Raymond stirred things up for sure, and we can debate on policy positions. What is not up for debate is his desire to help people. Heads up, if you decide to do your own research on Raymond, you might find some very inaccurate information, like the fact that Raymond found gold in Alaska, or that he's buried with the gold at the foot of the altar oak at Chinsegat. But that is a story for another podcast. On the next episode of the Elizabeth Robbins Diary podcast, we'll go undercover with Elizabeth as she researches for a novel on human trafficking, and we learn how things have changed and how they've stayed the same in the last 100 years. Thank you for listening to the Elizabeth Robbins Diary podcast, a creation and production of Brooksville Main Street, a nonprofit focused on economic redevelopment through historic preservation and placemaking. The podcast is made possible with the help of a generous grant from Florida Humanities and the brilliant minds of our guest experts like Dr. Clark. Would you please consider following and rating the podcast? By following us, you'll be sure not to miss an episode. And rating is a super helpful way to help us spread the word and support all the hard work of the following people. Life Thomason of Odd Life Studios produced this content as well as editing, mixing, and mastering it. Tom and Patria Dye opened Profound Revelation Studios in downtown Brooksville, allowing us to create this content right in the heart of our city. The docents of the Chinsegat Hill Historic Site and Andrea Reed, who generously provided research, support, and advice. Barry Mindel of Debar Design created our lovely graphics. Elisa Babor of Roots Creative Co. designed an amazing website and social media. Randy Olson of Live Oak Theater wrote and performed our beautiful theme song, Time is Whispering. Dale's Library of New York University for access to Elizabeth's collection. Those resources are quoted with the kind permission of Independent Age. Find out more about them at independentage.org. And of course, thanks to Elizabeth and Raymond Robbins. There are several scriptures the Robbins placed on plaques on the property at Chinsegat, and one I think particularly relevant to today's episode. It comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, verse 12. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew, Rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything. Restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, and make the community livable again. 
One cannot deny the Robins spent their lives attempting to live out this verse, and it's an honor for me to executive produce, write, and host this telling of their story.